Hey, Ken. Do we have a sup? Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our third installment of our lesson. I'll wait a moment. Okay. Uh, Welcome to our third installment of our lesson, The Passion and the Glory. This is a lesson about our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. When we think of the passion, we need to think of his death. When we think of his glory, we need to think of his glorious resurrection. In this lesson, we will look closely at the events surrounding the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, but we will also describe his 12 recorded appearances in chronological order. We find that the apostles record that Jesus performed many miracles, and he did. And when we look in the book of John at chapter 21 and verse 25, it tells us that if everything that Christ Jesus did was recorded, the world could not contain all the books that it would fill. Christ Jesus performed a lot of miracles. The greatest miracle in Jesus' ministry was his last, and that was his resurrection from the dead. We think about of all the things we read about, the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, when we think of those miracles right there, they would be meaningless if he had not raised, or rather been raised from the dead. That was his final, that was his triumphal miracle. In this lesson, in this lesson, I want to describe the details surrounding the the greatest event in both the spiritual and physical histories of mankind. I want to describe the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we do indeed love you very much. And Father, we know how blessed we are by virtue of the fact that you sent your Son, Christ Jesus, to live on this earth and show us how to live according to your word. You sent him to this earth to suffer and die for our sins. You sent him to this earth, Father, so that we too can partake of that glorious miracle that is resurrection from the dead, and that we spend an eternity in heaven with you. And Father, as we go through these this short series of lessons, Father, may we seek to glean as much information as we can, Father, to help us better understand the significance of all that was accomplished in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you for your continued care in our lives. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. And Tracy, Ben, thank you. Yes. I did not act when I saw this. Let's talk about the tomb for a minute. A stone. Three to four feet circular. Lays over a space that has been cut in the side of a mountain. Similar to what we see on the slide, this is a place where Christ Jesus rests after his suffering and death on the cross. A seal is placed on the stone so that no tampering will take place. 
His body is wrapped using several layers of bandages. And when the process was complete, the bandages would be tightly enfolded with spices placed in between each layer. His head is covered with a napkin. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus have laid him here on Friday afternoon after receiving permission to remove his body from the scene of his death. Several guards have been in place, or rather set in place, to prevent anyone from stealing his body. And then on Sunday morning, about 5 a.m., an earthquake shakes the ground and an angel in bright white appears and rolls away the stone. The Lord, however, has already left the tomb. The angel's action merely announces what has previously happened. The pagan soldiers guard an area fall to the ground. They're in fear. Their reaction is not due to the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, but rather to the appearance of the angels. For you see, the resurrection was not something that, since they were pagans, they were not privileged to witness this. So eventually they run to the high priest and report what has taken place. They are then bribed to say that the disciples stole the body while they slept. Soon after, Mary Magdalene and some other women arrive at the tomb with the hope of finishing the burial process that had begun on the body the day before, while the Sabbath was approaching. The women see the stone rolled away. They see the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, we're told, leaves immediately to tell the apostles that Jesus' body is no longer in his place. The other women, however, remain at the tomb. Angels then appear to these women and announce that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. At this point, they also leave to tell the apostles what they have seen and heard from the angel. Mary, Magdalene, returns with Peter and John and they look inside the tomb. The bandages that had been wrapped around his body are still intact. They haven't been cut, loosened, or unwrapped. And this suggests that Jesus simply rose through them. We, we think back of Lazarus when Christ Jesus called him out of his burial place. Remember, he came out still wrapped. Not so here. The form is still there, but the bandages are empty. And neatly folded in the corner of the tomb, they see the napkin that had covered his face. Peter and John depart from that place and return home, leaving Mary Magdalene all alone, crying and confused. The angels then appear to Mary, asking her, why is she crying? 
And she answers that someone has taken away the body of her Lord. At this point, the Bible describes the first of 12 recorded appearances of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus after his resurrection. The first one, the first that's recorded, we find in John 20, verses 11 through 18. What has happened is this. While Mary is still weeping, she hears Jesus calling her name. And we're told that she turns thinking it is one of the gardeners, but recognizing Jesus, she cries out, Rabboni, teacher, and clings to him. We're told that he gently pushes her away, reassuring her that she will not lose him. Jesus then tells her to go and announce the good news, the death his death, his, his resurrection, because there's been a death, there's been a burial, there's been a resurrection, announced the good news to the others. And she responds by quickly returning to where the apostles are located and reports what she has seen. And there's an unfortunate here. Unfortunately, they do not believe her. The second appearance we find recorded in Matthew 28, verses 8 through 10. In the meanwhile, the other women, remember them, they are still on their way to tell the apostles what the angel has told them when Jesus suddenly appears to them and they recognize him and they worship him. He instructs them to tell the apostles he will meet them in Galilee. Luke chapter 24, verse 34, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5, we see the record of his, a record of his third appearance. You see, after the women had reported the news to Peter and he refuses to believe them, Jesus, Jesus appears to Peter alone. And we have no other details of this meeting, only that that meeting did take place. Mark chapter 16 verse 12, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 17, we see record of the fourth appearance, his fourth appearance. There were two men leaving Jerusalem, and they were traveling to the town of Emmaus, which is about seven miles away. And they meet a stranger and begin discussing the events of this past week with him. And they tell the story of the of the female disciple seeing the seeing the angel, or rather, seeing an angel at Jesus' tomb. They are confused, and so the stranger explains to them how the resurrection of the Messiah was in accord with the Old Testament prophecy. They invite the stranger to their home, and as they share a meal together, they recognize that the stranger is actually Christ Jesus, at which point he disappears from their midst. These two men, we're told, they quickly return to Jerusalem that very night and report this amazing encounter with the Lord to the other apostles. Luke chapter 24, 
verses 35 through 49, we see record of his fifth appearance. While these men, those two men from Emmaus, are explaining their experience, and they're explaining this to the apostles, Jesus appears to them and says, peace be with you. They are all afraid, thinking that they have seen a ghost. But Jesus then shows them his hands, he shows them his feet, and he asks them for some food, and they give him a fish to eat. All of this was done to demonstrate that he was physically in that presence and not some ghostly appearance or figure. The Lord then teaches them about the resurrection and how this was happening according to the prophecies about him in Old Testament or in the Old Testament. In teaching them, he opens their minds and gives them understanding of the scriptures concerning himself and his work. He also tells the apostles that they will have to go and proclaim his resurrection. But before they do that, they are to wait until they receive the power from the Holy Spirit, and then they are to begin their tasks. Now, so far we have looked at the first five recorded appearances of Christ Jesus after his resurrection. Now, something you may not have noticed as we covered these, and that is this. These first five appearances happened on the day that Christ Jesus was resurrected. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, records his sixth appearance. The apostles have told Thomas what they know. Thomas was not present when Christ Jesus first appeared to the apostles. So when they were telling him that Christ Jesus had risen from the dead and had appeared to them, he, too, did not believe. So one week later, Jesus again appears to the apostles, and this time Thomas is among them, and he is invited by the Lord to touch the holes in his hand and side. Thomas responds by falling down, and this is at verse 28 of that text. Thomas responds by falling down and worshiping Jesus, saying, My Lord and my God. Now, verse 29 is kind of interesting because Christ Jesus makes a statement. Some text words it differently, and I like the one that words it like this. Thomas believed because he could touch, see, and feel. But Christ Jesus said, blessed are those who are far off, who have not seen and yet believe. Brethren, he wasn't talking about mouths. He was talking about time. This is first century. He's saying, blessed are those in the 21st century who have not seen, who have not touched, but believe. So what he's saying is everybody that's sitting in here who are Christians, everybody that's on this, that's online tonight watching this who are Christians, everyone who's in a body of Christ someplace today worshiping, he's saying, blessed are those individuals. They have not seen, they have not touched, but they do believe. John chapter 21 verses 1 through 24, we see the record of Christ Jesus' seventh appearance. And again, it was to the apostles, 
and it was by the shore. And what had happened is this. The apostles are restless. You know how we get sometimes. We, you tell us something's going to happen, we want it to happen like yesterday. So the apostles are restless, still waiting for the spirit and the power. Peter decides to return home and go fishing. They set out in their boat, but catch nothing all night. Jesus appears on the shore and tells them to try casting their nets on the other side of the boat, which they did. And the results was a great catch. Once ashore, they eat with him by the fire. And then our Lord tells Peter to feed his lambs. He then asks if the apostle, that is Peter, truly loves him. And he repeats the question three times. Now, think about that. He repeats that question three times. Do you love me? Now, you remember when Christ Jesus was inside the high priest's house? And Christ Jesus just told him who I am. Yes, I am the, the Messiah. I'm the son of God. And Caiaphas, oh, great. Now we can execute you. We can condemn you now. While Christ Jesus was inside the high priest's house being condemned to death, remember Peter was out in the courtyard. It was a little bit dark out there. It was a little bit cool out there. He was standing by the fire. And three times Peter denied Christ Jesus. So now it is as if Christ Jesus is saying, but every time you denied me, Peter, I'm going to ask you the question. And let you answer. Do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? Matthew chapter 28. And please turn over to Matthew 28. We're going to be reading over there in a minute. Matthew 28 at verse uh, 18. As well as Mark, uh, we're not going to read Mark 16, verse 15, but you also find this recorded there. It's the eighth appearance of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. And what we find is the apostles are gathered at a designated place in Galilee that Christ Jesus had instructed them to be. So let's read what happens here. Matthew 28, starting at verse 18. The Bible reads, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Christ Jesus comes to them here and gives them instructions concerning his authority in that he possesses all authority in heaven and on earth concerning his ministry. What are they to do? They are to preach the gospel. They are to baptize repentant believers. They are to teach the disciples to know and to obey all that Christ Jesus has commanded them. And it's a perpetual thing. It's over and over and over. It is an ongoing thing. This should be, this should have been happening. It is, has been happening since century one. That pattern is in place and it has not changed. But he also teaches about their power. These particular apostles, they the Holy Spirit will empower them to do miracles in order to confirm their ministry. 1 Corinthians 15 to verse 6, his ninth appearance. Jesus appears to over 500 Christians at one time during a special gathering. 1 Corinthians 15 to verse 7, his tenth appearance. 
He appears to his brother James, who is the, also the author of the epistle, James. Now, it's interesting about family sometimes. James, Christ Jesus' brother, while Christ Jesus was alive and preaching, he wasn't believing a thing that was coming out of his work, out of his mouth. But after his crucifixion and his resurrection, things changed. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We find the 11th appearance. Now, with this 11th appearance, it's going to be look like, oh, nothing else is going to happen. There's one more that's recorded that's a different apostle who wasn't an apostle at the time. We'll get to that in a minute. So the final appearance to the apostles, this was rather a final appearance to the apostles before Jesus returns to heaven. And all of these apostles witnessed this. Now, what has happened up to this point? Over 500 people of all kind, women, men, young, old, educated and not, disciples, saw Jesus in the daytime. They saw him at nighttime, indoors as well as outdoors. For over a period of a month, he ate and talked with him. They they touched, and well, he touched and comforted his disciples. All of this in preparation for his return to heaven. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, the twelfth appearance. Jesus appears to Saul. Saul, as you know. He was the Pharisee sent by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to arrest and imprison Christians in a bid to destroy the, this young church. He is blinded and called by Jesus to reverse course and devote himself to establishing the church among the Gentiles. Now, there's a point in there where Christ Jesus asked this question right here. Saul, why are you kicking against the gold? Now, if you haven't raised sheep and stuff like this, you're probably not that familiar with a goat. But basically, it was a pole with a spike sticking out of it. And that spike was sharp. And they used it to do this. But they weren't hitting them hard with it, just nudging them on. But what Christ Jesus and Saul is this right here. Why are you kicking against it? You know, you know how kids think these days. They, they would say something like, doesn't it hurt? <laughs> you know? He asked, why are you kicking against the gold? So after receiving his sight and hearing the gospel message, Saul is baptized and began his preaching ministry that will eventually send him to a Roman jail or prison, I should say, and execution for a cause that at one time he so violently opposed that it's before Christ Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. I have said that the resurrection of Christ Jesus was his final and greatest miracle. It was also his most necessary miracle. Why? Because through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, Christ Jesus accomplished three things. It is the same as saying that the resurrection has a purpose. And I say to you that it does. It has a threefold purpose, if you will. Purpose number one, the resurrection establishes Jesus Christ 
as the divine Messiah. Now, many say they believe in reincarnation, but let me tell you something about reincarnation and <laughs> and resurrection. The only thing those two things have in common is both of them starts with an R-E and both of them ends with a T-I-O-N. After that, they have nothing in common whatsoever. So many say they believe in reincarnation, even that they once were alive in another form. But Christ Jesus never said, I was alive in another form. Christ Jesus claimed to have returned as himself. Before I went to the cross, I was Jesus Christ. After I got, after I was resurrected from the dead, I am still Jesus Christ. I wasn't a flower, a goat, a pig, a horse, and nothing else. I was Jesus Christ. And this accomplishment entitles him to be considered Lord and Christ. Would you turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4? Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, Paul points this out at the text I just directed you to, Romans chapter 1. The Bible there says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as, as, an, as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Resurrection matters because it provides scriptural and historical confirmation of Jesus' true identity. So the threefold purpose then is this right here. Again, it establishes Jesus as a divine Messiah. But number two, it produces faith. We can demonstrate that the Bible is an inspired book or revelation of God in different ways. And I'm going to show you three right here. Okay. Number one. The accuracy of prophecy. You see, no other book contains fulfilled prophecy as does the Bible. Number two, the harmony of complex material. The Bible is composed of, what, 66 individual books written by 40-plus authors produced over a period of 1,500 years and tells a single story without confusion or contradiction. And no other book resembles or compares to it. And number three, superiority of thought. No other book contains the theological, philosophical, social, ethical, moral, and historical information at this level that has survived examination and criticism for nearly 2,000 years without destruction or being relegated to irrelevance. Note, however, and this is something I think we need to be mindful of when in terms about evangelism. What it is we're actually going out there to do. I'll tell you what we're not going out there to do. Christ Jesus did not send his apostles out to convince men 
according to the accuracy, harmony, or superiority of scriptures. What did he send them out there to do? He sent them out there to be witnesses and convince people of their personal eyewitness of his resurrection. That is what we need to be talking to people about when we talk about evangelism, not this other stuff. It's like the guy that came up here from my weak hair. He's, you know, there are some things that have nothing to do with your salvation right now. So why are we talking about that? Christ Jesus, tell them about my resurrection. You see, doubters and disbelievers are not persuaded, or not rather persuaded by logical arguments about God's word. They're persuaded by God's power as seen in the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Prophecy, accuracy of scripture, superiority of thought may convince you to believe that the Bible is a special book. But let me tell you something. That by itself would not save your soul. Because you see, there are a whole lot of people out there that believe the Bible is a special book. And I remember it, there was a time you to go to somebody's house and they had this little mantelpiece there and they had a Bible sitting up on it. It, it was it, the only time it got touched when it got dusted, but it was always on this mantle and it was always open. They knew it was a special book, but they weren't that caught up on what was contained inside of it. It is faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God produced by the witness of his resurrection that is recorded in the Bible that saves men from hell, separation from God eternally. Not the belief that the Bible comes from God. You see, without the resurrection, faith is impossible. Faith is not possible without the resurrection. The threefold purpose. The resurrection establishes Jesus as the divine Messiah. It produces faith. And number three, it eliminates man's greatest fear. And that is death. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, please? Hebrews chapter 2, at verse 14. There the Bible reads, Therefore, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. From the fall of Adam, Death has always been man's greatest fear. People give themselves over to this world, to sin, and, and they, are dis they are discouraged in the doing of good because they believe that death is the final power. They think that this life is all there is, so they act without considering that they will be judged by a righteous God who has the power of heaven or hell over all souls. And I remember talking to someone even recently who made this statement, and the statement was just right here. Turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. And what this person said to me is, God is too merciful 
God is too merciful to allow anyone to go to hell. So I said, what happens then when a person die outside the body of Christ? The person said to me, well, God gives, sends them back again and give them another shot. And I thought, wow, that must be pretty good. You keep sending me back and I keep doing the same thing over and over. That is not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. Paul, so let me back up here. Paul, oops. Paul describes the final victory of the Christian, the victory over death made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He, he does this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54. The Bible reads, But when this perishable would have put on the imperishable, and this mortal would have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you turn to uh, John chapter 6 and verse 39? John chapter 6 at verse 39. Now someone might ask, how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago give us resurrection in the future? Well, Jesus answers this question. He answers it at John chapter 6 at verse 39. The Bible that reads, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. The resurrection. The resurrection is, is necessary. The resurrection is necessary to destroy the fear of death. It's necessary to show that death is not final. It It is necessary. You see, the resurrection can, and it shows us that it has, defeated death. And the one who defeated it also has the power to give that victory to others as well. The greatest promise of the gospel is that for all who believe in Jesus Christ, personal resurrection from the dead will experience this reality themselves. They will experience it in the same way. And it was a reality for Jesus. And if we're in Christ Jesus, it's a reality for us. You see, God requires faith, but not blind faith. He promises us that there is life after this life. You get that? Life after this life. And he has provided the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the once for all proof that this is so. You know, in the Bible, we see that every once in a while, you know, if it was not so, I would not have said it. <laughs> you know, if it was not so, God would not have said it. The resurrection 
is the final miracle. The resurrection is the most important one for us. Why? Because it is what separates Jesus Christ from every other religious prophet or leader in history. None of them have ever claimed personal resurrection. They claim reincarnation, but they have never claimed personal resurrection. Only Christ Jesus has done that. Through his resurrection, God established Jesus as his only divine son, Lord of all creation and savior of all the world. And that is according to the word of God. The resurrection is important because it is the spark by which the flame is lit. That is, the flame of faith is lit. Skeptics and doubters are not convinced by the love of God, but by the power of God seen in the resurrection. You know, I think about this spark and this that 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 the faith that the flame of faith is lit. And I think about something I read about Robert Louis Stevenson a, a few years back, where he was a little boy there in Edinburgh, Scotland, and he was it was dark outside, and he was there, I guess, on the sofa looking out the window, and he was watching the lamplighter go down the street lighting the lamps. And the lamps were far enough apart that once he lit one, you did not see him when he got to the other one. But then all of a sudden, you see that light. And the story goes that Robert Louis Stevenson yelled out to his mom, Mom, there's a man out there punching holes in the darkness. That is what Christ Jesus want us to be. When, when if this, this, this spark lights up this flame of our faith, that is what we go about the business of doing, punching holes in the darkness. I can't believe that, or rather I can believe what Jesus said. I can obey what he has commanded me to do. Why? Because of this unmistakable sign the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10 and verse 17, please? John chapter 10 and verse 17. The resurrection of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus gives me real hope for my own resurrection. Prophets, astrologers, and spiritualists can write all they want to about that tunnel of light that they have experienced in those near-death situations. Christ Jesus didn't come near. He went all the way, okay? Only Christ Jesus, however, dies and come back. Three days later, he comes back, and he promises us the same experience. John chapter 10 and verse 17, Bible reads, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Jesus has the ability to promise me 
and you this thing. Why? Because he has the power over life. He has the power over death. And his resurrection is proof that he has power over both. Would you turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 3, please? Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Before the final miracle of resurrection occurred, that is in Jesus' life, he had to bear the cross. First there was the death and the burial, the passion. Then there was the glorious resurrection, the glory, his glory. This sets a pattern for our own lives. The final miracle will be our own glorious resurrection from physical death to be with God forever in heaven. But before this can happen, we also must undergo a death, a burial, and a resurrection. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible reads, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul tells us that this recreation takes place in the waters of baptism. We die to sin and repentance. We are buried in the waters of baptism and then resurrected by faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus' final miracle is available to all who come to him in this manner. During these first three lessons, or as we were talking earlier, installments, <laughs> during these first three installments, we have joined Christ Jesus in his Last Supper. At Matthew 26, at verses 26 through 29, we see how Christ Jesus changed the focus from the past to the future. The unleavened bread represents his holy and pure body given as a sacrifice for sin. The wine represents his blood and his life freely given to purify all men from sin and guarantee the promise of an abundant eternal life. He is the Lamb of God whose blood will cover and protect his people forever. No more bitter herbs as a memory of suffering. Why? Because the memory of his suffering will be eclipsed by the glory of his resurrection from the dead. We heard his last word. Luke twenty three thirty four. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke twenty three forty three. Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. John 19, 26, verse 27. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Matthew 27, 46. Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? John 19, verse 28. I am thirsty. John 19, verse 30. It is finished. John, uh, Luke 40, 23, verse 46. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Today we have seen his last miracle. We have seen his glory. 
his resurrection from the dead. Thank you for joining us. Please plan to return next week as we go to installment number four. As we seek to know his last command. Whether you're joining us here online or in person, we thank you for being here tonight. There may be needs which require our assistance. In a moment, we will be having a devotional. Those who are here would have an opportunity to make their needs known. Those who are joining us online, we have our contact information on the slide behind me. By all means, write us, give us a call, send us an email, make your needs known. Thank you for joining us tonight.